Shalom, and thank you for listening to the weekly teaching from Nachamu Ami. It's our honor that you've chosen to participate virtually, and we hope that this lesson will be an inspiration in your daily walk. Don't miss a single teaching. Be sure to download the Nachamu Ami app by visiting our website at www.makeandmessianic.com and clicking the Download the App button in the top left corner. Enjoy the message. Good morning. How is everyone? Good. <clears throat> so, Kelly and I had a funny conversation this week because, as you know, I'm a control freak. So, I have been very serious and intentional about the messages that we're t- talking through in this series. So, I have asked multiple people for feedback. I've asked for critique. I've asked. My, I've I've listened to my own teachings, which is painful. I'm sorry for what you guys have to go through on a weekly basis. Now, I, I realize first of all, I I like the volume level that I talk at is through the roof. What's up with that? Like I'm yelling all the time. So I'm going to try to relax a little bit today. But the problem with that is I know what's going to happen. People, people sleep when I yell. Can you imagine if I talk like this? But I asked Kelly, you know, how, how, how was last week? She said, well, you know, Damien, you, you put a lot in that. Like, there's a lot of content in there. So much so that I think if someone left, like, to go to the bathroom, they would come back totally lost and have no idea what you were even talking about. And that struck a chord with me. You know why? I feel like you have the right to use the bathroom at synagogue. (laughs) And not come back. And not come back totally lost. So I gave you a lot last week and probably too much, but, but because of that, I want to take a very brief moment just to, to recap and make sure we're on the, fir- on the same page. And as you know, last week, our main, a- our main point up to this point in discussing the sacrifices has been to correct a wrong way of thinking. A Christian way of looking, not that, again, I always say it because it's important. I don't want anyone listening or anyone in this room to think that I'm being derogatory toward Christianity when I say a Christian way of thinking. It's a different way of thinking than the way I think. So, a Christian way of thinking that says, sacrifice undoes sin. That's the, that's the premise. That's what we've been working through. And, and last week, we kind of redefined that, and we said sin, we, we expanded the definition of sin into impurity, right? Uh, using a purity, a distance from God as a, as a definition for sin. And we talked about our mother, our new mother from Tazria, from the Torah portion, who had just had a baby, and yet she was a sinner because God says you have to bring a sin offering, and that, how does that work? And, and ultimately, we, we came around to a very, very important fundamental distinction as we decided and discussed the difference between ritual purity and a ritual impurity, and what? Moral impurity. You remember this? Ritual impurity makes atonement, brings us at one with God, but that has nothing to do with Israel or for us going to heaven. That's not in the discussion of what ritual purity accomplishes in terms of atonement. 
Ritual, pure, ritual purity, some very important th- points to remember. It's natural. It's unavoidable. It's impermanent. I said that when you are following the first commandment, be fruitful and multiply, you're going to encounter ritual purity all along the way, from the act of creating a baby to having one, and then raising one, and then people die. All of these things, we don't have to really go into why God calls those things impure. There are beautiful and amazing reasons, but the point is, ritual purity is accomplished through this sacrificial system that God created. They are about atonement, reconnection, right? Reconnection, the ability to re-enter the holy space after a period of impurity. And uh, I, I will also remind you of the reason that we're doing this, which is important to know uh, if my remote works. Is it working? I want it to work. Okay, that I, First Peter 3, that, that was something I was going to say related to where I opened it. If I confuse you to death, then you will not be able to present a good case for the hope that's in you. So I, I don't want to confuse you to death. But speaking of ritual purity, we said regarding Hebrews 9, if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, and we said flesh is really flesh, like the stuff that gets ritually impure through childbirth and death and corpse contamination and all these different things. We talked about what that means. And so that ritual purification is what we said last week that sacrifices can do. Now, we need to ask ourselves and define what can sacrifices not do? And that's what I want to tell you and talk to you about today, because obviously sacrifices cannot do something, because we have texts throughout the Bible that berate sacrifice, that seem to tear it down, talk bad about it, even seem to put an end to it. And I want to talk to you today about how and why the ideas that permeate Christian thought why and how they are there, why they persist as it relates to what sacrifice cannot do. To tell you why it seems now that God hates sacrifice, that he dislikes it. Why we read prophets, Isaiah, Amos, Hosea, Micah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of them with things like this, Isaiah saying, I don't delight in the bulls, blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. And Hosea says, I want your loyalty, not your sacrifices. I don't want your burnt offerings. Amos says it, I'm not even gonna look upon your sacrifices. And then a real challenge comes when we move to Hebrews 10 and Yeshua himself quotes Psalm 40 and says this, sacrifices and offering you have not desired. When the master says that, you better pay attention to it because when I read that, I see something very negative about sacrifice. And most importantly, we're taking one step closer, and I promise you we're going to get there to the book of Hebrews, which is our ultimate destination, which clearly seem to suggest that the sacrifices are 
useless. Every priest stands daily there offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. How often can they take away sins? Never, okay? And we know that because we talked about Hebrews 10.4. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And that, my friends, has caught you up to where we are so far. Is that clear? You with me? That's the last couple of weeks. But today, what can they not do and why? Ritual versus moral impurity. Sacrifice can remove what kind of impurity? Ritual, according to the Torah. Sacrifice can allow entry into holy space. Sacrifice can invite the presence of God into our midst, and that's important. Sacrifice invites God's presence. We talked about a pleasing aroma last week. But what can they not do today, thanks to last week and this week, we'll understand it. And we're going to understand the words of the prophets, okay? What is moral impurity? It's not hard to guess. It's the biggies. Idolatry, sexual, sexual sins, bloodshed, the big things, and there's another long list of things. Moral impurity is classified as intentional sin. It comes from acts considered to be, are you ready for this? Moral impurity comes from acts considered to be immoral. There you go. We are rolling. I knew this quieter voice was going to work. But in order to answer our question about why sacrifices seem to be spoken of so lowly, we don't really need to know and ask like what moral purity is, but, but more importantly, what does moral impurity do? It's easy to know what it is. What does it do? And here it becomes, I mean, here comes the first example. From Leviticus 18, 24, we find that these nations which were in the land before Israel was sent in, what happened to the land? It became defiled. How was it defiled? It was defiled by their abominations, by their moral impurity, by their filthy, disgusting, immoral acts. But the point I want you to note is that the moral impurity they were engaging in polluted the land. Two, Leviticus 20, and that that whole section in 18 was after he's gone through all of the sexual sins that he doesn't want anyone to engage in. So those sexual sins in particular in Leviticus 18 defile the land of Israel. Leviticus 20 This is talking about people who engage in idolatry and give their children over to Molech. And what happens when idolatry is engaged in and people give their children over to Molech to defile my sanctuary? So now we've made it even more specific. Moral impurity defiles the land. Specifically, it defiles the sanctuary of God, the tabernacle, the temple, and it profanes God's name. That's obvious. And third, Numbers 35. You shall not pollute the land with blood. What is this talking about? Murder. What happens when you murder? There is no expiation. There's no forgiveness for this other than the one who shed the blood to pour out blood. 
This is capital punishment. It's the recourse for murder. But it goes on to say that it defiles the land in the midst of which I dwell. So, moral impurity defiles the land. It defiles the sanctuary. It profanes God's holy name. And most importantly, potentially results in the presence of God departing from the land. Or worse yet, we are kicked out of the land. This is known as exile. Have we ever seen this happen? Yes, we've seen it happen. You shall not defile the land and you live in which I dwell, for I, the Lord, am dwelling in the midst of the sons of Israel. And if you engage in these behaviors, I'll leave. We do not find this happening anywhere in the text related to ritual impurity. Okay? It's important. This is where God's holy presence resides, in the sanctuary, in the land. I've referenced the tamid offering a couple of times, which is the lamb that's offered in the morning, the lamb that's offered in the evening or between the evenings, literally it says in the text. But that lamb is a commandment of God, the eternal offering. And remember what it says, it has nothing to do with sin. The lamb is offered up, why? Because God finds it to be a pleasing aroma. And what happens with the tamid? We invite God's presence into the tabernacle. We talked about a pleasing aroma and what that means to God, that it's his children inviting him in. So here we are at this key point. In Christian thought, we have looked at this and said, sacrifice undoes sin. We've covered the difficulties with this. Based on what I just told you, here's the reality of the situation. Sin undoes sacrifice. Now let me explain that because I want you to get this. Sacrifice invites the presence of God. It reconnects us. Okay? It's not about covering over your sins or doing those types of things. There is a covering element that we've talked about, but it sacrifice, whoops, I lost my thing. I lost my, but you know what I said, right? I said, sin undoes sacrifice. And based on everything I just told you, when you are morally polluting the land with your defilement, you invited God with sacrifice, but now your sin is causing him to depart. So less than sacrifice undoing sin, sin is undoing the beauty and power of sacrifice. And this is important. Even a morally, a, a, a morally filthy, reprehensible person can bring a sacrifice. If you're ritually pure, you can enter into the space and you can bring a sacrifice. That's challenging. But it actually makes the point that I want to explain.
if we are morally reprehensible, even ritually pure, God is not impressed. So what can sacrifices not do? Well, let me, let me just first give you this very briefly because I want, you to, I want to make this distinction very clear. Ritual purity, not sinful. Moral, I mean ritual impurity, not sinful. Moral impurity, grave sin. Ritual, it's contagious. Touching a body is contagious. Sarat, leprosy, if you touch a menstruating woman, there's contagion. Grave sins, moral impurities, there is no contagion. I can touch a murderer. It doesn't make me a murderer. You have an impermanent aspect with ritual impurity. There is a process to get rid of them. These moral sins are long-lasting. There is a removable aspect of ritual impurity. For our mother, our new mother last week, we know she's not a sinner. She brought a sin offering, better, better phrased, a purification offering so that she could reenter the sanctuary of God, removable. Now, if she kills her child, that's something very different. That is not removable. Not by sacrifices. Moral impurity is best understood as a, a potent force that, that sinful action releases. It defiles the sinner, the sanctuary, the land. And even if the sinner is not ritually impure, will drive God's presence away. And here is where we go. I'm going to skip this slide because last week it confused you and I think I'll confuse you again with it. Um, well, no, I'm not. I'm going to mention this. You know why it's important? Because I told you early on that when I use these terms, ritual impurity and, and, and moral impurity, that they're not really biblical, biblical. You can't really find that in the text. But you actually can when you look at it this way. Because those words at the top, that word, tame, it means defiled, it means unclean. It's used in the context of someone who is ritually impure or morally impure. Tame, defiled. The words below it, abomination, pollute, and there are other words, nowhere related to ritual purity. So what I'm telling you by that is the text of the Torah does make a distinction very clearly with its choice of words between these things. Now, what I would like you to see is that we know sacrifices now cannot remove intentional sin, moral impurity. They cannot. And we know this from Hebrews for sure. If perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, what further need was there for another priest to arise? In other words, why did Yeshua even need to come if we, needed to, if we could just do bulls and lambs? And we already talked about that. But we will come back to that in a big way, okay? Where we're headed is, I need to reconcile these prophetic 
critiques, I will call them. Why do we find those things in the prophets, the words of Yeshua, in the book of Hebrews, out of King David's mouth? Why do we find them being so critical of sacrifice? And this all centers on this discussion and understanding of moral impurity. The prophetic scriptures in context make a difference. They make a difference because the prophets are communicating a very important idea. And here is Jeremiah 6, which is yet another one of our prophetic critiques against the sacrificial system. What purpose does frankincense come to me from Shiva and the sweet cane from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable and your sacrifices are not pleasing to me. This is Jeremiah. And we'll use a memorable idiom to describe what sacrifices cannot do when you're living a morally impure life. Anybody ever heard the phrase, talk is cheap? Talk is cheap. And what the prophets are saying and what Yeshua is saying and what Hebrews is saying and what I'm saying to you right now is your sacrifices will not save you. This fundamental difference must be placed into your mind and your spirit forever because the standard way of looking at Christian, at the Christian theology toward sacrifices is that all those Jews were bringing sacrifices so that they could go to heaven and be saved by them, right? And then Jesus came and undid that, and now we don't have to do that anymore. Your sacrifices cannot save you, and this is exactly what the text tells us when we read it in context. And Every reading, actually I haven't read every one of them, but in all of the readings that I read that are critique of sacrifice and and or the sacrificial system, if you read them in context, what will you find at the middle, at the center of the prophet's critique toward sacrifices, moral impurity. Moral impurity. And this is the story. The prophets, all of them, say to the people of Israel, the land is defiled. The land has become Tameh, to use our word. How has it become Tameh? By your pollutions and your abominations. You have destroyed what we have made here. The temple and the sacrifices and the beautiful invitations to God, your pollutions and abominations, they're driving him away. They don't work. He doesn't like them when you do that because talk is cheap. And he's going to leave. And you're going to be kicked out. And you read this, this is Jeremiah 6. If you turn to the next chapter, I want you to hear exactly how Jeremiah says that to his people. You ready? Listen. The word that came to Jeremiah from Adonai saying, stand in the gate of Adonai's house 
Where are you going to say this, Jeremiah? You're going to stand right in the temple where people come and proclaim this word and say, hear the word of Adonai, all of you Judah, that come through the gates to worship Adonai. What does that mean? Come in here, bring a sacrifice, and act like everything's okay, right? Thus says Adonai, Sivaot, the Lord God of hosts, God of Israel, mend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, the temple of Adonai, the temple of Adonai, the temple of Adonai. You hear what he's saying? No, if you truly mend your ways and your deeds, if you're doing justice between a man and his neighbor, not oppressing the sojourner, orphan, or widow, nor shedding innocent blood in this place, there's bloodshed. There's dishonoring the widow, all in the Torah. Nor going after other gods, there's idolatry to your own ruin. Then I will let you dwell in this place and the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Look, you're trusting in deceptive words that are empty. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery and perjury and offer incense to Baal and walk after other gods whom you've not known? And then come and stand before me in this house that bears my name? Will you do that? How can you do that? God says, I added that part. And you come into this house bearing my name saying, we are saved so that you can keep doing these abominations. Has this house which bears my name become, this should sound familiar to you, a den of robbers in your eyes? Who said something like that? Look, even I've seen it. It's a declaration of Adonai. Indeed, go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I first made my name. Now see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. Do you see how clearly this follows our trajectory? Your sacrifices will not save you. Talk is cheap. Now, you're behind, I'm begging you, the prophets say, I'm begging you. Stop talking cheap. And by talking cheap, they mean bringing sacrifices that you don't mean. Your insides are filthy. Your outside doesn't matter. You're behind closed doors, which actually isn't even behind closed doors because you commit idolatry in the open. And, the, and uh, all, uh, God sees it all and the nations were spit out. So will we be and the presence of God will depart. And what, was, and, and what came next? What did they say? Did they say, and stop doing those stupid sacrifices. Did they ever say that? No. Because what they're saying, and you must hear it, and you will hear it again and again and again, repent and return. And then bring a sacrifice. Now, that's one example. I'll give you two more brief ones. Psalm 51 adds a layer of confusion for us as well because what we have in Psalm 51, it's written by David. We know David, King David, he wrote this, for you do not delight in sacrifice. In Psalm 51, it starts by saying, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, what had David just done with Bathsheba? Committed a major 
moral, immoral act, I'm sorry. And so then he goes on to say this very famous psalm. He says, do not cast me away. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. And then he says this, for you don't delight in sacrifices. Otherwise, I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. And there, my friends, we end up with the idea that God hates these sacrifices and what a real sacrifice is, is a broken and contrite heart. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Do you see that? Let me help you see it. Has anyone ever been there? Has anyone ever committed a sinful act and desperately wanted to go back and be in God's presence, but yet you were hindered by that sin and you say, God, I can't just, I can't do a good deed. I'm I'm weighted down. I'm, I'm burdened by my sin, God. And I know just doing a good deed, bringing something even with pure motivation, it's not gonna be good enough. Has anyone ever felt that? That's what David is feeling. And he's recognizing and saying, if it were only as easy as me being able to bring you a bull, I would, but you won't have it. You won't take it because I'm morally repugnant. I am immoral. I'm a sinner. I would bring it, but it doesn't matter. And God, that separates us. And ultimately, I know what my moral impurity is going to do. It's going to cause you to leave me. Don't do that, God. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. That sounds a lot like what happens when Israel lives in moral impurity. And God departs. And hence, we find the prophets using very similar language to David saying, who are you kidding? And we begin to see the real meaning of David's words there. With my moral impurity covering me, God, you will not accept it. Cleanse me, cover me. Listen to me. I repent before you, God. Cleanse me. Remove my moral impurity. And then you need to read to the end of the psalm. Because if this is the end of the sacrificial system, if God does not desire anything having to do with bulls and goats, if this is the end of it, the psalm ends in a really weird way. And I'm yelling because this is important. May it, this is the end of Psalm 51, what David just said. You will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous. Well, I know, but that's a broken and contrite heart. He just told you that, Damien. No, it's not. It's in burnt offerings offered whole. It's in literal sacrifice. It's the message of the prophets. It's the message of David. Your bulls and goats are not going to fix you. But when you take a step, 
God will do the work. And then bring a pleasing aroma. It never suggests that they go away. None of those words in context from Amos, Hosea, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. And now I will give you this last light because this is the most important one from our master Yeshua and we begin to see his words. You know this scripture, right? Everybody uses this one to tell you you're not that good if anybody doesn't like you. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and remember, I I kept those little footnotes in there. Do you know why? I kept the the S, therefore you are presenting your parenthetical S offering, and then in 24, your T, your offering, and then U, your offering. Why? Why did I do that? Because this text, these footnotes, are sort of a little bit theological bias. Because I want to tell you what the real language is there in Greek. In Greek, prosferosudoron. Presenting your offering. In Greek, do you know what he's talking about? Guess. Just throw it out there. What do you think he's talking about when he says presenting your offering at the altar? Bringing a sacrifice to the temple. The word prospero, when it connects with doron throughout the Septuagint, this is, I'll, I'll read you from the, from the uh, Dictionary of New Testament Theology. Prospero su doron, to bring a gift. Occasional combination with prospero underlines the connection with the Old Testament sacrificial system. This choice of words is nothing but Yeshua saying, hey, guess what? When you're presenting your sacrifices, when you're drawing near to God through a sacrifice at the temple, if you have a problem with your brother, if you have offended, if you've morally, I mean, if you've, I can't get this right, if you've acted immorally, talk is cheap. God doesn't care about your holy beef if your brother has a beef against you. How's that for memorable? Go and be reconciled. And for goodness sakes, get rid of that stupid offering. Is that how it ends? Go and be reconciled. And then what are you going to do? Draw near to God with a sacrifice. Why? Because sacrifices can't do the first part for you. But they can still do something. What doesn't it do? It does not cleanse our conscience. And Hebrews 9 reminds us that it's for the purification of the flesh. And this is the point. I'm driving it, driving it, driving it. But in our, in our, in our understanding here, this is a fundamental pillar that you must have as we go forward. Sacrifice cannot repair Moral purity. It cannot do that. Sin undoes sacrifice. But the point we've just made, the point Yeshua is making, the point David's making, the point the prophets are making is that there's something bigger coming. That God is going to do something. And most importantly, 
only he can do it. No bull, no goat, no lamb, no dove, no grain. Only God can do something. And that's coming. Right? It's the message of Moses. It's the message of the prophets. It's the message of the Messiah. The solution to moral impurity is one word, repentance. And we see this. Infamous, infamous words of Yeshua as he's just destroying the Pharisees, right? After he said, they sit in the seat of Moses, listen to them, do do what they say, but don't do what they do. Then he goes through the woes of the Pharisees and we end up here. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery. Gosh, that sounds like Jeremiah. These are These are people interacting in the temple, some of them. Inside, they're full of robbery, self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish. Why? So that what it looks like on the outside matches what it looks like on the inside. In other words, there's nothing in the world wrong with a sacrifice to purify and clean the outside. But for goodness sakes... Clean the inside. And that's what the prophets say. And that's what David says. If you haven't already gotten that message, isn't it so obvious? You need help, he says. I can offer it. But this is how it actually ended. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. And what's going to happen? What's going to happen? God is going to leave. And you're going to leave, not by choice. The place you're bringing your sacrifices to draw near to God in your outward purity will be destroyed by your inner impurity. The land has become polluted. You'll be spit out. And this is what sacrifice cannot do. And in order to read and understand the book of Hebrews, this pillar must be part of your foundation in understanding these differences. Because the end point, nowhere, nowhere in any example that I just gave you, do we find that, first of all, Israel is expecting the sacrifices to get them to heaven. Secondly, do we ever find the prophets condemning them as a a practice that God abhors when the inside matches the outside? King David, Yeshua, Yeshua, for goodness sakes, is recommending that you're at the altar. The sacrificial system will always accomplish its purpose on earth. That is, cleanse you from ritual impurity and allow you to draw near to God in his holy space. Always, always. If there were a temple now, it would happen. When there is a temple again, and that's probably something we need to talk about, it will happen again. 
And I will make that clear to you. Is there any common ground between what they can do and they cannot do? Yes, you must do what the sacrifices cannot. Repent so that the sacrifices can do what you cannot. That is atone and cover and allow you entrance into the presence of God. There is a connection. It involves us both. So our problem is Yeshua is said to be the end of the sacrifices. We'll see next week. Someone must have forgotten to tell him that. And they must have also forgotten to tell his disciples that. And the Acts community that they should stop. And, and, and someone forgot to, to, to explain the new covenant to the very one who inaugurated it with his blood. And knowing now what the sacrificial system can and cannot do, next week finally we'll conclude this, this kind of Old Testament look. I don't even like that word, but that's what it's called, the Old Testament in most common language. Next week we'll conclude this part of the series with this, with a look at, with a look at the problems of the supposed end of the sacrificial system. And then, finally, as I promised, we'll journey into the book of Hebrews to get totally confused and then walk away enlightened. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. We hope you enjoyed the weekly teaching. We'd love to hear from you with a comment, a prayer request, or questions you might have. We believe the mission and message of Messianic Judaism is something the world needs now. If you enjoy these teachings, would you consider financially supporting the work of Nachamu Ami by visiting our website at www.makinmessianic.com and clicking the Give Online button in the upper right corner. Thank you again for listening. 